Vibe Talks. Vibe Talks. More than just music. Hey everybody, this is Strong Carlo Alino reporting for Vibe 105 with a sports Vibe Talk segment where we're going to be talking all things soccer. Uh, special guest here today. You've seen him. He's a midfielder for LAFC. He's a Canadian national player and a York U legend, Mark Anthony K. How you doing, Mark Anthony? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, just uh, we were talking before this went on, like uh, with COVID cases here coming up over in Ontario, also a uh, second wave over there in L.A. Just uh, throughout this whole pandemic, like uh, how you've been holding up and how's your family been holding up? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's obviously been a challenge. Uh, no one ever expects to go through something like this, uh, especially in the, the fashion that, you know, um, the governments and everyone have been dealing with it. I think uh, we weren't prepared for it. And um, obviously, we're, we've been biting the bullet a little bit on the reactive side of everything. Um, but yeah, once uh, you got used to how life is going to be for a while, um, I think it was easy to, uh, to get things going again. Obviously, I'm in a fortunate situation where my job, um, you know, was impeded a little bit for a couple months, but I'm able to work now, um, which is very important. Um, so I can't speak on behalf of others who have struggled. All I can say is that I, uh, you know, I, I feel their pain and I'm close to others who have lost their jobs too. So I just hope that, you know, the government and time can fix this for everyone. Um, but yeah, it's just a weird time where you, you need to have better communication with your loved ones and with people maybe you don't have contact with all the time because this, this virus is real and that it, it'll take anyone. So, um, yeah, it was a scary moment at the beginning, but now I'm just hoping that people do the the right thing to make sure that we can flatten the curve, keep it flat, and then get rid of it. Yeah, could have said better. Uh, hopefully, it goes into a better trend here, like we were seeing early on in the summer months, uh, cases going down. But this is a season that has been a little out of the ordinary, especially uh, where you're concerned. You start the season off in MLS, and then right away there's a shutdown, puts on pause for a few months. So. Uh, how was it getting back into the mix of things? Like, did you find any trouble going on or were you still in training during that time? Um, yeah, it was, it, when, when it started, um, we were just getting ready to play a Champions League game the day, the next day. Um, so when I got canceled, we, we were like, okay, this is just, you know, precautionary reasons and, you know, we'll get back uh, to playing in no time. Um, and yeah, within, you know, three, four days, next, you know, it was like shut down the whole, the whole season and couldn't go into training facility. You had to stay home. This whole quarantine idea, no one knew about grocery stores were getting packed and ran through. Um, so it was a really scary time, but, uh, we were able to reassociate ourselves with our technical staff, our strength staff, and make sure that we had a plan to keep going because we didn't want to just sit on our hands when, you know, the season hopefully was going to return and we wanted everyone to be in good form. Um, it was definitely a difficult adjustment period because we um, had to figure out ways to do individual training on our own. And uh, professional athletes are not used to doing that. Um, at this level, maybe in the off season a little bit, but you gather with a lot of people. But the thing about quarantining is you can't be with anyone. So you have to figure out a way to motivate yourself to get out there, you know, run the miles you need to run, do the tests you need to run, get your touches on the ball. And I think that was a very difficult time for a lot of players, uh, especially with no uh, end in sight. But uh, yeah, we fought through it. I fought through it. And 
realized that, you know, I wanted to put myself in the best position possible when things returned. So it was another moment to kind of prove to myself how resilient I could be in this situation. Yeah. And like another thing a lot of people have had to adapt to is no fans being in attendance. And I've asked this question and it's interesting the kind of answers some people give. Like I've asked this to fighters, I've asked this to soccer players, I've asked this to basketball players. As a player, like on the pitch with a sport that revolves around that momentum that the crowd gives you, especially in soccer, the kind of atmosphere it provides, how has it been changing your preparation uh, mentally for a game? And uh, does it let you take a little bit more time to get dialed in? Um, you know, I think at first there was a transition period where you were probably going to be like, oh, what is it going to be like? Uh, this is weird. No fans. Um, but I think everyone who plays sports are so competitive and you have to be able to motivate yourself to get yourself engaged for high performance um, whenever it's called for. So I think that, like I said, at the beginning, it was probably weird. But, you know, I think adaptation is huge and realizing how to motivate yourself and get yourself going for a game. You realize now that back in the day, you know, you don't really draw too much on the fans to get yourself ready for a game. You know, it's how to keep yourself going throughout the game is where the fans really come involved. So, um, and, and, and I've said this multiple times where it's now you have to lean on your, on your teammates. You have to lean on your coaching staff because that's all you can hear. And that's all you're around. And now it requires more leadership amongst the group to get guys going because maybe one guy could just feed off the fans. He does a good move and the fans roar, but now you don't have that. You know what I mean? So um, for, for me personally, it was, it was definitely a big change, but you know, I don't want to allow something like that, that I can't control or like affect my performance. So I had to figure out ways to get myself going and, I think a lot of the sporting world has done that. Obviously, we love fans because, you know, we love to entertain people and, you know, give them a sense of joy. But uh, as of right now, you, we, we have to do it from, from our stadium and they have to be at home. And I think that people just need to continue to find ways to adapt to this situation because it will be like this for a little bit. Sorry about that. My phone's falling. Yeah, no problem. And uh, it's interesting that you brought that up too because – LAFC came into the league a few years back and you're obviously on that inaugural team. It hasn't really, I guess, had that same recognition in terms of like LA Galaxy who's been in the league a long time. So for those watching right now who may not be familiar with LAFC's atmosphere and just the fan base, how would you best describe that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, definitely um, organic, you know, our atmosphere. Uh, we have really passionate fans who have been waiting a long time to have a club uh, in the city that, you know, represents their city, their community. So I think they have even more of an edge when they get to the stadium because they feel like, you know, the players on the field represent who they are as, as individuals, as hard workers, family people, you know, brothers and sisters. And um, that's what creates a real passionate, organic environment that, you know, only wants to help move the team forward, help move the city forward. And I think when you have people doing the best out of the goodness of their heart, you know, you reach a level that some clubs might not reach right away. So for us, um, we've been very grateful and blessed with the ability to connect with our fans. And I think that's what drives it higher too. Um, the club has done a really good job to make sure that there is some cohesion between um, them and us. And um, yeah, they just take it to the next level. We have a big, uh, you know, Latin American uh, following, uh, Mexican following. And, you know, 
the way they support sports is, is, is different than it is here in North America when it comes to soccer, you know? So they bring that little flair. We have different groups. It's, it's just, it's so, it's so included, inclusive, you know, and it just, it's a safe spot for everyone. And yeah, it's, it's been electric and these guys have, you know, just like we wanted to jump on the scene and make a, a big, uh, you know, we're here. It's the same with the fans, you know, and I think they've got their recognition and it, it's sad that in the third year, you know, they get cut short, but uh, I know they'll be itching to get back and they've been working on new things. Um, you know, they never sleep. It's a, it's amazing uh, what these people can do. Yeah. And you came from Toronto GTA going into Los Angeles. What's it like playing in Los Angeles? Because you're in a city there with uh, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard. Then you got the baseball teams over there who have their own fan bases there, energetic. And now you're also sharing a fan base with LA Galaxy who's also in LA. So what's it like playing in that city? Yeah, it's, um, it's exciting, man. Um, I never thought that soccer or football will say would have brought me to this city. Um, you know, uh, that's, that's a, that's the, the great thing about sports, you know, you can travel the world and you never know where you're going to be because it's always an adventure. But when you come to a city like LA, where, you know, so many legends have been born here, so many, you know, championships have won. There's just this real history of winning and being at the top. It's, it's, at first, it's all glamorous and nice because you're like, yeah, it's almost like Hollywood for sports. But then you realize there's a responsibility that comes with it that you need to win. You know what I mean? It's not a city you can come into and not win and expect everyone to still love you and praise you. So um, and I, I realized that after, you know, our first year where, yeah, everyone was excited for us to come and join the L.A. sports uh, environment. But, you know, we didn't win. And I could see that it was affecting people in the way they looked at us. Um, obviously we have our true supporters, but you know, to, to drive this business, to drive this club, to be at the top level, you got to engage and, and get people to want to be a part of it. And winning does that, you know? So our second year, we really, you know, stepped it up, breaking all these records. And that was kind of the LA, you know, sports lifestyle. That's what it is. You know what I mean? You, you're, you're in a city where everyone in the world comes to, to, to make something of themselves, you know? And we have all the right tools and stuff to do that for, for our community and for our club. So we have to take the responsibility on and try our best. And it's exciting. It's, it's just amazing to know that I am in the same city as all these greats. Uh, LeBron is one of my favorite players. So to know that he's here too. Um, yeah, it's exciting. Obviously we, we live our lives separately, but it's just good to know we're representing the same city. I guess what was that aftermath, that atmosphere and like after that aftermath when they won the championship, what was that like? It, it was crazy, man. Um, you know, I obviously last year, I didn't get to be in Toronto when the Raptors won. Um, I was actually here with uh, the national team in Irvine, but we could only imagine how the city was. And I was letting my girlfriend know that, hey, like tonight is going to be bad in the city because people are just going to go crazy. They haven't won in so long and especially with this whole quarantine and COVID and people have to wear masks and you have to stay inside and all this stuff. It's like all hell is going to break loose. And um, I love the support and the passion that a lot of these people show. I just don't appreciate the way sometimes they show it. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I live downtown LA and it, it got like destroyed. 
And a lot of people who, who did come here with the reckless ideas and stuff like that, they don't live in this community, you know, and it affects other people, it affects small business owners. And, and at a time where people are getting let off and don't have work and all this stuff, I don't think it's the smartest thing to do. Again, I can't control anyone. I can only have opinions on stuff like that. I understand the importance of getting out there and showing your support for your 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 club or your your franchise, but uh, there's ways to do it. But again, you know, as you know, an LA local now for the last three years, um, it's amazing what the Lakers have been able to do. Being joined by LAFC midfielder Mark Anthony K. Um, Mark, I just want to transition a little bit because with the climate, obviously now in quarantine and uh, just even in the United States, it's led to the formation of the Black Players for Change, which I think is a really great movement to finally start in Major League Soccer. You've been a part of that and uh, the protests there that they've been doing. And even at the MLS's back tournament, you're a part of that. So what were the preliminary stages like for this and what made you really excited and uh, interested to really get on board with this? Yeah, so, um, you know, this all kind of started with uh, the death of George Floyd. I am, you know, um, it's very tough to see something like that that still happens in in our time, in our world with, you know, all the advancements we've made in different areas of life to know that, you know, (laughs) the, the price of life is still not equal for everyone. And I think once we saw that, I think a lot of people within the MLS, a lot of the black players within the MLS felt, you know, like that was them, like a part of them just died with George Floyd. And it was tough because we know that, yeah, on the field, within our clubs, we're respected and we're looked at with value. But on the street, we're just ordinary, you know, black Americans. And it, it's tough to know and see what the, the the system has been doing to us. And to know that, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be victims to it eventually if it doesn't change. And we have the ability to fight for that change. So I think after that, you know, we kind of stood up and said enough is enough. And, you know, with following with other teams, uh, not teams, but other leagues around the U.S. with the NBA um, stepping up and doing all their initiatives, we felt like it was necessary to have one within the MLS uh, and it formulated pretty quickly, um, took off right before Orlando, obviously, with, uh, you know, obviously getting everyone out to the first match and uh, standing in solidarity for two minutes or so. Um, so it was good. A good thing came out of a bad thing, you know, and it, it's sad that that's what needed us to, to form together. But we have a responsibility now to hold people accountable and try and change the lands- landscape for everyone. So um, I'm proud to be part of the, the Black Players for Change. I think it's a, it's a very young and early, you know, project. And it's still hard to judge us right now. But, you know, in five to 10 years, I'd like to see where we are. And I just think it's important to, to open people's eyes and change their perspectives and make them understand that, you know, a, a better life is a life that everyone feels good about. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an important time. And obviously with COVID and timing, it's, it's just weird, but it's given us the ability to have a massive platform, massive voice for change. Yeah, I agree with you. And I can see it's a very sensitive topic for some to even talk about. And even a lot of players sharing their stories. Like I saw Josie Altidore share a story too. And you can tell mm-hmm. like it, it is a, still a sensitive issue for uh, even black players to talk about. But I think what Black Players for Change has done and what you're doing is great and helping them cope with that, helping them get a, another uh, person to talk to. So uh, when you guys are talking with the league, 
have you been satisfied with the reception and response from the league or is there still something you'd like to see from that? You know, I think the league has, um, has listened to us, um, has been open to working with us, which is massive. Um, you know, it's still baby steps. We had a meeting with uh, the owners from each club um, to talk about what we want to see from them, what we expect from them, because essentially I don't think many people know, but the MLS is the MLS owners. That's what the MLS is, right? So um, it's not just us talking to Darren Garber and him making this decision. It's actually us talking to all the owners who own, you know, these teams and they're that what make up that majority group. So, um, you know, obviously at the beginning, I've had some, some words. I've been public about it, about how I feel the MLS has been um, reactive to things. And with a league that's trying to grow and so multicultural, I, I would want them to be more proactive and getting out in front of issues in the news and really trying to protect their players and really try to show that they're against the systemic racism that is, is evident a lot in the U.S., but also other places in the world. So um, I think from those standpoints, they have continued to improve. And like I said, it's still very early to, to judge them. But like I said, they have answered our call and listening and hearing our voice. And now it's just whether or not they can, you know, put what we need into action to really make change. It's great to hear. And I appreciate you uh, sharing that too with us. Uh, once again, for those just joining us here with special guest, Mark Anthony Kay. Uh, Mark, another thing about this uh, whole return to play is that the Western Conference has been a lot more wide open than recent years. Like uh, the gap yeah. there is just a few points. So going into this last stretch of games, what do you hope you can guys can accomplish on LAFC to really get yourselves in the playoffs? Obviously, the most important thing is, is to pick up points, as many points as possible, to get yourself into a good playoff position, to you know, get yourself on a good run once the playoff starts. But I also think something that needs to go with that is that we need to continue to improve each game. You know, um, obviously each game poses a different challenge, but I think if we can really get everyone going leading into playoffs, then we can be a very deadly threat. Um, we've never had a year like this where, you know, we're not at the top of the table and we're not running away with games or points and, you know, the playoffs is a for sure thing. So right now I think we can spin this and use it as a way to be like, this is a new challenge and Hey, we're going to get into the playoffs and we're going to fight like hell to, to, to get to that final and win the game. So, um, yeah, I, I just want to see more guys start to have better games. I think, I think we've had guys who have had ups and downs just like me where, you know, I might not play a good game, but maybe four guys play good games. We need, you know, the LAFC where 11 guys, 10 guys play a good game and get the results. So, um, yeah, it's crunch time now. Obviously, injuries don't help. But, uh, you know, the guy, I think that we'll have everyone back ready for playoffs, and that's, that's what's really important. And another thing that has been, it's been interesting that something has been brought up is that with travel being in and around the U.S. for some of these teams and cases coming up, the thought of maybe going back into a bubble for the playoffs, like as a player, would you be open to that? Do you think that would be the best option? I would say no. I, I, I think uh, they've done a good enough job to adapt to the situation. Um, you know, it's been a long season already. I don't think going back into a bubble will necessarily help anything. I think, again, when you have to look at the, the mental part for the players, which is very important, you know, taking them away from their families. I think it lowers the, 
the quality of play, um, especially for a significant amount of time. I think right now it's just fly and fly out and um, it's been working. Obviously there's some teams who their COVID cases have gone up drastically, yeah. but for a majority of the league, it's, it's been okay. Um, you know, it's obviously unfortunate what the Canadian teams have to do with finding a new home for the time being. But uh, yeah, I would definitely advocate against uh, going into a bubble for playoffs because playoffs is only like four games. So um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, there you hear it, have it. Mark Anthony K doesn't want to go in the bubble. Uh, put it in there, so keep him in L.A. Uh, but another thing I want to ask you about, too, is uh, the Canadian men's national team that you're a part of. And this is an exciting group. Like, we're around the same age, so when we were growing up, this hype and the talent level wasn't really there to this extent. And now with you being a part of this core with Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David, Jonathan Osorio, you have a chance here to put Canada's soccer on the map here in this country to a, a grander stage. And what are your thoughts on uh, just the core that you guys have and that have been able to build up all these years and how exciting is it to know that uh, Canada's hosting a world cup? Yeah. Um, obviously it's a good time to be in the Canadian national team. Um, we've got a lot of talented players. You know, I think our core group is good and, you know, the responsibility of the core group is to continue to get better because, you know, we only deal with CONCACAF and CONCACAF is one part of like the massive global scale of football. So um, obviously we have players like Alfonso and Jonathan doing it on the world stage, but you know, we need more players to get there. And, you know, I, that that's talking to me too, you know, we need to get more players in Europe, get more players at the highest level playing at the highest level most frequently. Um, but yeah, when you talk about core, we got some good players that you can build around. I think uh, when it comes to building a team, there's still some pieces we need to find. Um, and it's not just pointing fingers at those pieces. It's also, like I said, the core guys need to continue to get better. Um, you know, we, you look at like the U.S., for instance, they've got, you know, I think the stat was or something like 10 players in Champions League this year. Yeah. Like that's... So as much as Canada has been progressing, you know, the, the, the teams around us are progressing too. So um, we need to really continue to fight to put ourselves in the best position once qualifying comes and, and really make sure that we're ready to compete at that level, which I think we will be. Um, but like I said, there's still things I know John is, is working tirelessly on to, to get things down, but uh, yeah, there's still, we still have ways to go. Um, and then for the World Cup, that's it's exciting, man. You know, um, obviously I can't talk that far in advance of, of the 2026 World Cup, but I would like to believe that, you know, that's a World Cup that I can participate in. Um, you know, I'll be 31 at the time. And I've always said that, you know, I wanted to be a massive leader in that World Cup and hopefully, you know, captain the team. So that's a goal I've made once I heard the World Cup was coming to Canada in 2026. Um, exciting time for the country, exciting time for young uh, you know, footballers in the country to have a World Cup in their home and to just open their doors to, you know, the biggest players in the world. And I think that will change the soccer landscape. Um, you know, I think if we can really get to the 2022 World Cup, it changes the landscape before that World Cup, which would only help it even more in 2026. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, kudos to Canada for 
really getting us in there and getting that bid because that it's going to do wonders for the economy for the like i said the soccer culture within canada you know it sucks that it couldn't happen earlier in my in my lifetime but uh you know i'm excited for the kids who are coming after me to really be able to experience something like that and like another thing that Canada's done, uh, Canada soccer, I'm sure you've probably seen some of it is uh, the Canadian Premier League. What have you seen in the CPL's uh, quality of play and how has it helped the national team? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been exciting. I think Canada's needed their own league for a long time um, with good structure. Um, obviously, it's going to continue to grow. It needs more teams, but I know that takes time, you know, and I'm really grateful that, you know, a lot of these players have somewhere to play. Um, a lot of these guys haven't had opportunities to break into MLS teams or just weren't given the chance when I think they are good enough. Um, you know, it, it's, it's low. Sometimes it's the luck of the draw and where we are in North America easily. I could have fallen through the cracks, you know, if one person didn't take a chance on me. So I understand how difficult it is and I support them. Um, I do think the league is still has ways to go. You know what I mean? Still yeah. has ways to go. You have your, you have your top players who are very good and, there are players that still need to to catch up to those top players. And then that's just how it is anywhere. You know, MLS, it's the same thing. So, um, but just to have a league in our own backyard, it's exciting. Um, not only does it create opportunities within the real football world of players, it also creates opportunities for, you know, GM positions, management positions, you know, all throughout front office staff, which I think, to grow the game, we need to have more people within that system, you know, who know how to work a football club. And that's how Canada is going to grow and grow. If it's only at TFC and it's only at Montreal and it's only at Vancouver. And then when you really look at all the staff, it's like how many staff are Canadian that are in real, you know, yeah. commanding jobs there, you know? So with, with the CPL, it allows us to really flourish in that. And that's what I'm excited for. I think obviously, you know, I look forward to the times where, you know, my soccer career is over and I can be a businessman or something like that. And that's, those are endeavors I think I would like to jump into. So I, I'm wishing the league the best and I'm wishing the players the best. And it looks like they're really enjoying it. And I'm just happy because it, it, you got to think if there was no league where all these guys play. So um, it's definitely a positive. Yeah, it's great to hear you say that too. Like someone in MLS whose career uh, went into that direction, you're flourishing there and uh, seeing the Canadian League come up, maybe some of the players coming out of university, it gives them a place to play. Uh, mm -hmm. But before, uh, I'm just going to transition a bit. Uh, barn burner soccer analyst Carmen Asako was your coach at York University on the York Lions. Mm -hmm. can, can you give our listeners some intel? What was it like uh, playing for Carmen? Uh, yeah, it was definitely exciting. You know, um, I think he's much more relaxed now. I haven't seen him in, in a, in a while I've spoken to him obviously, but uh, yeah, it was, it was an exciting time. Karma is a very passionate coach uh, and he will give you moments here and there of reminding you why he's a passionate coach. And uh, I just like to, to thank them for taking a chance on me because it's not like I showed so much to be like, this guy is going to be amazing. Obviously I knew my talent, but I think their ability to seek out talent and to cultivate it within their environment and push it on it has been enormous. And the only, the only thing that stops players from going on from York is their ability to not get distracted or, or stay concentrated. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, Carm's a great guy. He's a family guy. I think, you know, yeah, he has three kids, but really, if you think about it, he has 300 kids. 
you know, he has a, a hand in so many people's lives and I'm in debt forever to him. And obviously he would never want me to say that, but that's the truth of it. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, there, the York program is very lucky to have someone like that. And, you know, I, I hope that I can live up to his contribution in my life to, to the fullest and make sure that, uh, you know, I always uh, talk good on him and just remind people how much he's affected my life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just even being a student athlete at York University all those years and going through that grind of um, trying to make it like, what was your experience like being a student athlete? How much different did you have to prepare and I guess work in class and all that? Yeah, it was definitely uh, uh, an interesting time in my life. Um, I obviously knew how driven and motivated I was to be a professional soccer player. And obviously, Carm had convinced me that school is a big part of, of life. And, you know, I wasn't, I'm not going to say I was the best student, but I also don't think I ap applied myself in the best way just because I had put so much energy into soccer. So it's not like I failed anything, but, you know, school was kind of the byproduct of me playing soccer and it needed to be done. You couldn't have one without the other. So I really tried to, to make the best of it. Obviously, I give enormous amount of respect to student athletes, you know, the ones who are taking full course loads and all that stuff, because that wasn't me. So I don't need that kind of credit or anything like that. But uh, I think it's a, a massive thing to be able to juggle two things and it prepares you real well for the world. Um, but yeah, it's, it's school is fun. You know, that's one thing I do realize when I look back at it is school is fun as much as you have to write essays and papers and all that stuff. School is, uh, I think, an important time for people to, to see how they can mature in the adult world right before they step into the real adult world. So I'm grateful for my time there. I'm thankful that it was only two years because that means that the soccer went really well. And um, yeah, so it was a good time. And uh, the final question there on that note, what advice would you give to some of the student athletes who they're going to come up, they see you as one of the players to make it big into MLS, and they're going to be in this different situation with this new norm. So when they eventually start back playing again, what advice would you give to them? I'd say, listen, like playing for fans is one thing, but playing for yourself is always the biggest thing and playing for your family and playing for your teammates. And that doesn't change regardless of who's out there watching you. You know, if you are the type of player who can show up for training every day, you can show up for a game and with no fans, you know, that's the reality of it. When you break it down, you know, being a student athlete, it's an exciting time for people who are in the soccer world. I, because that's, that's the world that I'm in. And, you know, with the CPL there and with drafts and all that stuff, I never had that, you know? So it, there's, there's an easier path. There's not an easier pathway, but there's a more, um, direct pathway to get to where you want to go now. And you just got to take the most of it. You can't, like I said, don't get too distracted. If you really want to become a professional athlete, then stay to it. You know, you have to sacrifice a lot of things. You can't live your life the same way as any other, you know, student athlete who's just playing sports because they're good and they're going and getting a scholarship. If you really want to make it to another level, you have to put yourself in a different category. You have to act a different way. You have to, you know, maintain your body in a different way. And I've seen so many people who, you know, it's unfortunate guys who are so good at York that, you know, could have done great things at the pro level, just get distracted. And it's, that's the reality of it. And I'm sure they're very happy right now with their lives, but if that's what you want to do, if you want to become a professional athlete, you got to be really, really like laser eye focused on, on that goal. Yeah. That's great advice there. And as we wrap up here, how can we follow you on social media? Yeah, so I have Instagram. It's uh, Mark the Wiz. Um, I don't think anyone else is is 
close to having the same handle as me. So it should be pretty easy to find. And Twitter is the same thing, Mark DeWiz. Uh, yeah, again, you know, I am the type of guy who understands where he, he came from. You know what I mean? I never turn my back on the people who've helped me. And, you know, I think embracing where your journey has led you and, you know, the adventures you had on your journey is very important. And York was a massive one of mine, you know, definitely was the bright spot of my life in that time. So um, I'll always forever be in debt to the program, to CARM, you know, guys like you who are really trying to help people with your voice, because that's essentially what you're doing. Um, I think it's really cool. So whenever there's a time for me to give back, I'm always there. It's good to hear. Recommend that follow. So everyone after this interview, go follow him on Instagram, Twitter, and check that out. Mark Anthony, I'd like to thank you for taking the time and coming on here, sharing your story here uh, with Black Lives Matter, Black Lives for Change, and uh, everything you've done in your career from university into the pros and wish you all the best. Thanks, Jim Carlo. Appreciate it, man. Keep going. Um, you know, this is a cool field to be in, you know, and I, I hope that maybe one day I can get into it, but you've uh, started at a good age. So keep going, man. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. That was Mark Anthony K of LAFC. Stick around because we got plenty more programming coming up. And now back to your vibe, Vibe 105.